0: The effects of unfaithfulness are really glaring. Much more easy to see and spot, in fact, easier to talk about than the effects of faithfulness. This week in your work week, life week, whatever, you're more likely to hear stories about the effects of unfaithfulness than you are to hear stories about the effects of faithfulness. It's just easier to talk about unfaithfulness because the effects of it Are so glaring. So it's much more likely you're gonna hear a story about some guy who was unfaithful to his family than some story about a guy who was faithful to his family. I, I think that growing up, my family was a topic of a lot of conversation because unfaithfulness was a killer in my own family growing up. And so when Lindley and I got married, one of the things that I conveyed to her is I wanted something different. It didn't take a lot to convince her that that's a good idea because she didn't want anything like what I had growing up. And so we we started out our marriage wanting to make sure that faithfulness characterized our marriage and that we experienced the effects of faithfulness. And it didn't take us long at all to discover how hard that was. It takes a lot of work. To move towards more and more faithfulness. And I'm not talking about just avoiding infidelity. I'm talking about working towards spending your life together and being in love all your married life. Like being emotionally and spiritually connected your whole married life. That takes a lot of work. And we discovered that we weren't very good at it naturally. We were much better at uh, being mean to each other than we were at being kind to each other and instilling a lifelong trajectory of faithfulness. And so we, we found out it just, it takes a lot of sticking with it. It takes a lot of working through stuff. It, it takes a lot of effort and hard work to experience the effects of faithfulness. And then we had kids. We thought it was hard before kids You throw kids into the mix, and all of a sudden, working towards faithfulness in your family and in your marriage is far more challenging. And we had to raise to a whole nother level of hard work and working towards something that really created a pattern that was contrary to what I experienced and what we both wanted. And then as our kids got older, they got into that that teenage years, and we realized very personally, that our kids actually threatened the effects of faithfulness in our home. Because now they could make decisions that displayed unfaithfulness to the Lord and to the values of our family that would would create negative results in the effects of faithfulness in our homes. And so what we would find ourselves telling our kids frequently is, hey, listen, what you experience in our home, The food that you get to eat that you didn't pay for. The room that you think is yours that doesn't really belong to you. The experience we have as a family sitting around the table playing games. Us going places together. Us having meals together. All the things that you think in your mind make our family something that you like. All of those are under threat. And all of that experience can be can be negatively affected or absolutely lost by unfaithfulness displayed by any member of our family. And all of us in the family are players when it comes to the effects of faithfulness, and we want to experience faithfulness in our family. We want the stability of that. We want the benefit of that. We want the blessing of that. We want faithfulness, and we just kept telling our kids, this is, a, this is up to all of us. We've all got to walk this way, and really, faithfulness is an avenue towards Everything our families here want, we want the effects of faithfulness. The reality is that the effects of unfaithfulness are so glaring, sometimes we lose sight of just how significant it is to experience the effects of faithfulness. And I'm so grateful that Jesus has given us this little letter to the church at Philadelphia where he talks about the effects of faithfulness. If you, if you were living in Philadelphia, every day you would wake up to this gentle flowing river on these rolling hills of a valley, on the backdrop of this small mountain range, and there'd just be vineyards dotting the 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 terrain everywhere you looked. Had to be a marvelous place to live, and and in this little community of Philadelphia was an even smaller church that had a big place in the heart of God, and God. Had a message to this church family but here's the thing I don't want you to miss that God's message to the church at Philadelphia is also God's message to us right now in this moment Jesus started the message to the church of Philadelphia with a reminder of who he is there's a vision painted of him a glimpse of who he really is it's intended to create an opportunity for the Church of Philadelphia to rightly orient their hearts and their minds to who Jesus is so that they're in a position to hear what he has to say. So that they're saying, hey, if that's who you are, then whatever it is you have to say, whatever it is, I need to hear it. I'm ready to hear it. I'm ready to adjust my life to who you are, and I'm ready to follow what you say. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start just by looking at who Jesus is, what he Shares about himself, the church of Philadelphia. So let's read together Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. We're just going to read um, verse 7 to get a glimpse of the vision of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one can shut, the one who shuts, and no one can open says this so jesus shows them who he is he says i'm the holy one there's nobody like jesus nobody in all of creation that's like jesus because jesus is the creator of all things He created everything, He holds everything together, He sustains everything, He orchestrates everything that is. He alone is holy. He is unique, set apart from all creation. In fact, anything in creation that has any element of holiness to it has an element of holiness to it because Jesus gave it the element of holiness. There is no holiness outside of Him except what He gives and and dictates as holy. He is holy and no one else and nothing else in creation is like Him. He is distinct and set apart, holy in all his ways, perfect in perfection, righteous in rightness. There is nobody like Jesus. He is the one who is true, which means that when he says he is the one Messiah, the Son of God who is sent to the earth to give his life on the cross for the salvation of men, he is telling the truth. He is true in the sense that everything he says, everything he plans, and everything he purposes can be guaranteed on. We can depend upon him. No one is more true than Jesus Christ. No one and nothing is more dependable than him and his word. When he says something, when he plans something, you can bank on it. He is true. He holds the key of David. In Isaiah chapter 22, the key of David is mentioned. and It's mentioned in reference to a guy named Eliakim. And Eliakim was told by the Lord he would have the key of David. And by having the key of David, he would then have the authority to open the way, open the door into the kingdom of Judah. This is an Old Testament kingdom. And Eliakim was given the power to welcome anybody into the kingdom of Judah and keep anybody out of the kingdom of Judah by having the key of David. He was given authority in a temporary kingdom. Jesus picks up on that. He says, hey, I want to make things right here, make things straight. I have the key of David. And the kingdom that I have control over is the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. I have the key, and I can open the door, and I can shut the door. And if I open the door, nothing and no one can shut it. And if I close the door, nothing and no one can open it. Jesus Christ is communicating to the church of Philadelphia who he is, and that he is the only way in to the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 4, we see this this description of of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says it like this in John chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through me. Jesus Christ holds the key to the kingdom of God, and He will not open that door to anyone except those who believe in Him. He's the only way in. And you've got to place your faith in Jesus Christ to get into the kingdom of heaven. Here's what Jesus does you place your faith in Him, and He takes His holiness. He's the only one that's holy. And he gives it to you in place of your sinfulness. And he forgives you of all your sin because he died on the cross for you. And now you have the holiness of Christ so that you can enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, the door is open to you and nothing and no one can shut it. That that means that no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're guilty of or ashamed of in this moment, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the door of the kingdom of heaven is open and nothing will shut it to you. You're forgiven. You have the holiness of Christ. And that's good news because Jesus Christ is the one who is true, which means if he tells you, you will be saved by trusting in him. Romans chapter 10 says, if anybody calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ will keep his word. If you've called on him, he has opened the door. No one can shut it and you will be saved because there's no one that is more true than Jesus Christ. This is who it is that is speaking to us, the one who is holy, the one who is true, and the one who controls the entrance into the kingdom of God and has invited to you through that open door by trusting in him, receiving his holiness in exchange for your sin and guilt. Are you ready to listen to him? That's who it is that's speaking to you. So let's hear what he has to say. Look at verse 8. I know your works and I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut because you have little ability, little power, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. First thing that Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia is that he's created this open door. Now, I don't know if God has a sense of humor or what, but it's certainly on display today. When I got here and walked up in there in the foyer, the doors were blowing open. So much so that one blew out the hinges and can't be closed anymore regularly. And I thought that was pretty funny that that happened this morning. The doors couldn't even be kept shut here. And so here we are reading about this door of opportunity that God opens. That Jesus Christ is going to open for the church at Philadelphia. And he gives the reason why the door of opportunity would be open to them. Because even though they had just a little ability, a little power, they remained faithful. There's this small, insignificant group of people in this community, and yet they remained faithful to God, they remained faithful to Christ no matter what. They never denied his name in the difficulty. And Jesus said, because of your faithfulness, I'm opening a door of opportunity to you that you're going to experience And nothing and no one will keep you from experiencing it. And it all rested on their faithfulness. Now consider that for your own life. There are some opportunities of God's grace that you're not going to walk into unless you walk through the path of faithfulness. Excuse me, I'm about to Let me just tell you, that is one hard thing to do, to try to keep your composure, talking to a bunch of people when you're about to sneeze. <laughs> it takes a lot of talent. I don't know. Man, that is tough. <laughs> Woo. Okay, that's past now. We can keep moving on. There really are some opportunities of grace in our lives that you simply won't walk into, except by way of faithfulness. If you think about what it would be like to have a couple come up on stage today and they've been married 50, 60 years and they were genuinely still in love with each other, like they loved each other and they were partnering together to reach people for Christ and they were going where they were going, doing what they're doing to help people know about Christ. And, and we could just witness in them something that happened in a legacy of family that's an effect of faithfulness. And we got them up here and we started hearing from them. And you know what would happen? Every one of us in this room would say, "I want to be like that. I want to experience that kind of blessing." You know what? We would be immediately influenced by that couple because of faithfulness. You see, that would be an opportunity of grace in their lives to influence others, to follow Christ. That only came through a lifetime of faithfulness. Do you know there are people in your life right now. You live around them. You work around them. And they need to hear about Jesus Christ. Like you live where you live right now. You work where you work right now. Because there are people around you that need to hear about Christ. They need to smell the fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The door of opportunity that you need to walk into will not open wide to you unless you walk the path of faithfulness. Do you know how hard it is to convince somebody to follow Christ when the pattern of your life is unfaithfulness? See, there's just opportunities of grace that come through the pathway of faithfulness. Do you know a a door opened for Lindley and me Um, a little over a year and a half ago, to come and be the pastor at First Baptist Georgetown. The door of opportunity opened. It was a gracious opportunity that God provided us that simply would not have been open to us if there was a pattern of unfaithfulness in my previous pastorate. Like when I met with the search team and they said, why do you think you ought to be the pastor of First Baptist? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because I have been more unfaithful than any other pastor you'll be able to talk to. I mean, it's a pattern. It's there. And and certainly, that's enough reason to call me. That would not have happened. Why? Because there are certain doors of opportunity that are the grace of God that only open our lives through a pathway of faithfulness. Now, I want to be clear with you about what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not perfection. Faithfulness is not a lack of mistakes. If you you look at how I pastored my previous church, when I came there, I was 30 years old. I didn't know a thing, and I thought I knew everything. How would you like to be in that scenario? I mean, I made so many mistakes. If I think about where Lindley and I's marriage was back when I went there in 2000, from this vantage point, it looks like, man, we we really needed a lot of help, and I needed a lot of help, and it was a lot more help than I was willing to admit I needed. I was prideful. So I'm not talking about perfection. Here's what I'm talking about. Is it your ambition to follow the Lord? And when you fail in following the Lord, is it your ambition to fail towards following Him? Are you ready to come along and say, look, I'm not doing okay, and I need your help. I need the grace of God to come in my life and change me. I want to follow the Lord. I'm struggling. Can you help me? Or, man, I'm doing really good. I'm walking with the Lord right now. But listen, I recognize the grace that I need in my life is no different than the grace that you need in your life when you're struggling. We're walking this walk together, and let's just keep trying and striving towards faithfulness. It's it's not perfection. It's I want, to be, I want to keep going in the direction of the Lord. No matter what it takes, I just keep moving in faith with the Lord. For some of you in this room today, you know what faithfulness really looks like? For some of you in this room this morning, faithfulness looks like making a decision. You don't want a pattern of unfaithfulness anymore. That's your first step. For some of you, it means telling somebody something's going on inside of you that nobody else knows. That is, has a trajectory towards unfaithfulness that you need to get out in the open. You need to be walking in faithfulness. For some of you, it just means coming along somebody else and saying, hey, I want to walk together in the Lord. I want to make sure we're walking faithfully before Jesus Christ. See, what the Lord said to the Church of Philadelphia is faithfulness is the way to the next open door of grace that I have for you. And around the doors and the corners of our life, Jesus has some doors of opportunity that are going to be open to you through faithfulness. And don't mistake His grace as a free pass to every opportunity of His grace. That's not how it works. He wants to so change you that you live in faithfulness and you experience doors of opportunity that come by way of His grace. There's nothing like faithfulness. And Jesus wants us to see that. Look at verse 9. He says, Behold, some from the synagogue of Satan who call themselves Jews and are not, but are liars. I will make them come before you and bow down before your feet, and they will know that I love you. In Philadelphia, there were people there that were persecuting this little church, saying to them, God doesn't really love you because you are not a Jew. They're getting persecuted because they're following Christ. And Christ comes to them and says, hey, I want you to know because you're following me through every difficulty and every persecution, every challenge, that there's going to come a time when I make it very clear to those who oppose you that the one I love is really you. I love my church, and I want you to know it, Philadelphia. I love you. I love the fact that God cares about us knowing that he loves us. This had to be a question mark in the church of Philadelphia as they went through this struggle. Are we really loved by God? Have we missed something? Is something wrong here? And Jesus comes to him and says, no, I want you to know, I do love you. There's not a person in this room that does not need to feel and experience that God loves them. We all need to know that God loves us. We need to regularly experience the real feelings and the real experience of knowing God's love. So many times we forget that knowing the love of God is connected to faithfulness. That there's a piece of knowing God's love for our lives that we find and discover through faithfulness. When you read the Bible front to back, you're going to find out as you work your way through Scripture that God says again and again to his people, When you are faithful to me, you will find the blessings of being my people. When you are faithful to me, you will experience my love. When you are faithful to me, you will experience my care for you. There is so much about knowing the love of God that is tied to God's gracious work in us producing faithfulness. If you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I want my heart to be recaptured by the love of God. I need God to so overwhelm me with his love that I can't, help but want to love him in return it's been a long time since I've sensed the love of God in my life if you're here saying that I want to encourage you to simply make a decision to return to faithfulness because it's in faithfulness that God will bring into your life the clear awareness of his love and if you choose the pathway of, of faithfulness you can weather those seasons of life where you don't Feel his love like you want to. But faithfulness will put you in the perfect position to know his love. Faithfulness matters so much in knowing the Lord. Look at verse 10. Because you keep the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world to test all that inhabit. And dwell on the earth. Jesus says, because you kept my word of perseverance, I'm going to keep you from this difficulty. Now, it means one of two things. Either Jesus is going to keep the church of Philadelphia from experiencing what's coming on the whole earth. They're just going to be kept from that experience completely. Or he's going to keep them through the experience so that they don't experience the effects of it like the rest of the world. But he's going to be with them and he's going to be with them with an umbrella of protection and care over them because of their faithfulness. Your faithfulness to Jesus Christ is the pathway of experiencing God's gracious protection over your life. You know, I've encountered some people in my life when they've been going through difficulty, trying circumstances, really hard stuff, and they've made conclusions. They've drawn conclusions about God because they see things in that moment about their life and their circumstance that they project onto God. And they conclude in that moment things about God that lead to more unfaithfulness, not faithfulness. Have you ever been around somebody like that that says, man, if this is what it means that God loves me, I don't want anything to do with God. This is what it means to be a Christian, and this is how God takes care of me as my loving father. I don't want that kind of dad. You ever been around somebody like that? I've seen people in the same exact sets of circumstances, some even far worse than those. And they have looked at their circumstances not just in the moment, but they've looked at it through the lens of who God is and what God says and they have made conclusions about God in that moment that's led to more faithfulness. I said, I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord. It may be bad right now, I may not understand everything, but I know what he says. He says I can trust him and I won't be disappointed. I'm going to keep holding on to Jesus Christ. You know what I've found that happens in people's lives like that? Then when they hang on to the faithfulness of God, that they discover the goodness of God in and through the midst of any difficulty. And the difference between those two groups of people is that one group just hung on long enough to see that God really was true. And I just am convinced that if that other group would just hang on, if they just would have hung on a little longer, they would have seen the goodness of God because the Bible tells us that no one who trust in Jesus Christ will be disappointed. If that's true, then I've got to hang on long enough for God to bring that about through the difficulties of my life, and that's exactly what he does. Through faithfulness, I live under the umbrella of God's gracious protection so that what I experience in my life that is not what I would choose, not what I would want, that is very difficult and painful, so that when I experience those things, it's filtered by his grace. And he's allowing into my life certain things as gracious gifts to me so that I might trust him, walk with him, and know his goodness in a life-changing way. I just got to decide to hang on long enough to see it. See, one day, we're going to stand before Christ. You know one of the things I think we're going to see? I think we're going to see more about what he actually prevented from affecting us. That through our faithfulness, we experience an incredible protection of keeping things from us. And then we're going to see more clearly that everything he allowed to come at us was actually his kindness to bring about fruitfulness of faith for his glory and our good. We just got to decide that he's worth hanging on for. And that's what he's telling us here. Faithfulness is worth it. At the next verse, verse 11. He says, I'm coming quickly. Now we, we've heard things like that before. We'll hear it again. And most of the time it's bad news. Most of the time Jesus says, I'm coming quickly and I'm coming to clean house. But here he's saying, I'm coming quickly. And this is an incredible encouragement to the church of Philadelphia because he's not said anything wrong about them. He says, hold fast to what you have. So that no one can take your crown. He says, I'm coming quickly and that's good news for you. So hang on until I come because there is much more to come than what you've just experienced. I've, I've given you a lot of good things through your faithfulness. And what I'm doing in your life right now is so rich and so good. But hang on. Hold fast to what you have because I'm coming with a crown. And I want to reward you for the work of my grace in your life that has worked itself out as faithfulness to me. And I don't want you to miss that crown. Jesus is telling the church of Philadelphia, hang on because there's a crown coming and you don't need to miss it. What's coming is far greater than you can imagine. And you can't afford to lose it. Faithfulness is the pathway to reward. And it's a reward that Jesus longs to give us. And so his grace is providing the way to faithfulness. Faithfulness. You don't want to miss out. If you lived in Philadelphia at this time and you were receiving this letter from Jesus Christ, there would be stories that your parents would have told you, that grandparents would have told you, and been stories of what happened in Philadelphia. See, years and years before this letter was sent to the church of Philadelphia, right in the middle of that peaceful little community, on that backdrop of mountains, with that peaceful stream rolling right through town, Right there, an earthquake struck and totally destroyed the city. Many people were killed, and those that survived fled the city out into the the surrounding areas and pieced together whatever they could to survive. It was literally a time of survival. As things got to be rebuilt, people built outside the city more than they built inside the city because they were afraid to return to the city. Because of what it had done when the earthquake had hit. So fear reigned and dictated how they rebuilt. Two generations later, this letter comes, you would have heard those stories. Imagine what it would have felt like in that moment to hear Jesus say this. Verse 12, the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not have to go out from it Ever again and i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the the new jerusalem which is coming down from heaven from my god and i'll write on him my new name can you imagine what that'd be like To have all these stories about not wanting to go back to Philadelphia, having to leave the city and being afraid, and Jesus to say to you, if you follow me, if if you're an overcomer, if you remain faithful, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a brand new city and you will never have to leave it again. Fear will not reign in your life. I'm going to give you the city that belongs to me and I'm going to write my name on you because you will belong to me and you'll be safe forever. Forever. One of the things that I love about being adopted is thinking that there was a time in my life where I was given a new name. And when I was given that name, I became an Eckert. Like, I'm an Eckert. Even though I wasn't born into that family, they gave me the name. And I'm a part of that family now. And I love that. Now, after my dad and my uncle and my cousin had open-heart surgery, I'm glad that I don't have the genetics of that family. (laughs) But I'm a part of that family. I love having that name. There's coming a day where Jesus says, all those who've trusted in me, I'm going to write my name on them. And what he's going to do is he's going to take the brokenness of our hearts, And he's going to replace it with the holiness of his life. He's going to take the blackness of our sin. He's going to eradicate that genetic brokenness with his perfection. We will bear his name. We will be his people. And we will never be afraid again. Faithfulness. Can't you trust a Savior like that? Don't miss the effects of faithfulness. They're far too important. Don't miss out on following Christ because there is nothing like the faithfulness of Christ to those who trust him.